today on Commitment to Truth. We understand that the hope that was delivered to the, to the people of Judah at that time is the hope of Christ. And we know that that hope was fulfilled in the light of Jesus when he was born in the time that we're celebrating right now. So what do we do about that? Ladies and gentlemen, we need to take our deeds and drag them into the light. Because every one of us has sin in our life. And the worst possible thing we can do is to try to hide them. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Ken Jones, teaching pastor at Commitment Church, with today's message. New sermon series begins, and we're going to do four weeks of this particular sermon series on the Prince of Peace. And we're drawing from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, uh, as our text uh, as we go through this particular series. Uh, So to start with, because I'm a historian by nature, I want to give you a little bit of history of what's happening at this time when Isaiah is prophesying. Uh, the nation of Israel at this time has been divided into two. Uh, after Solomon died, his sons kind of made a mess of things, and they became, each one wanted to be king, and they divided the nation into two pieces. Ten of the twelve tribes went with the, what they called the northern kingdom, which was called Israel. And two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, formed the southern kingdom called Judah, which was actually around the, the city of Jerusalem. Um, so now we're, they, they weren't real friendly. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, um, for the most part, was basically idol worshipers. Uh, they just weren't really led by good kings. And you know that by nature we're all sheep, so we follow the leader. So they just weren't real good. Uh, The southern kingdom of Judah was a little better, still not real good, but they had a few more kings that were were godly and followed God and tore down the idol worships uh, at that time. So we had a choice there, a little bit better in Judah than it was in Israel, but neither one were really all that good. But there was still this this conflict between the two groups. Um, We're dealing here with basically 700 years before Christ at this particular time, when what happens at this time and what brings Isaiah into the picture is that the northern kingdom of Israel attacks the southern kingdom of Judah. And quite frankly and handily, they win. And they begin winning battles and taking over people as they march into the, the nation of Judah. So Ahaz, who was the king at this time, gets a little concerned. So he thinks the best thing for him to do is to go get help from other countries. So Isaiah comes in and goes, whoa, dude, you need to rely on God and God alone. He'll fight your battles. Don't be running around trying to get help from idolatrous nations. Ahaz ignores him and makes a covenant with the nation of Assyria. He takes half of the silver and gold out of the temple. He gives it to the king of Assyria as a tribute to him. And the king of Assyria comes in and absolutely wipes out the northern kingdom of Israel and takes them all into captivity. And it's really the end of the northern kingdom of Israel. So Judah, Ahaz is sitting there going, "Ah, look at me. I told you I had this right, Isaiah. You didn't know what you were talking about. 
Oops. Because Assyria turns around and attacks Judah. Surprise. So now they're getting really concerned because the Assyrians are some pretty nasty people. And Isaiah's going, I told you so. You should have relied on God. So that's kind of the, 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 the foundation here for what we're looking at for this particular prophecy that Isaiah is delivering to the people of Judah. Okay, so what I want to do, I want to start in chapter 8. Uh, we'll start in chapter 8. We'll look at verses 19 through 22. And this is Isaiah. He's talking to the king and to the people of Judah, letting them know what's going to happen right now in the very immediate future. Starting in verse 19 of Isaiah chapter 8, it says, When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn or no hope. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. These are the people of Judah. And it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. That don't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. So that's the, the attitude. That's the, 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 the time frame that we're coming in when Isaiah comes in in chapter 9. Okay, it's just so I can lay this out for you so you know what he's talking about. But here we go with chapter 9, verse 1. And he says, But there will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So he just got done telling them you're going to be in anguish and darkness and gloom and starving and thirsty and Yuck. But there's hope. There's hope. Matthew, please. Chapter 4. You're going to find out where that hope came from. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. And understand that the book of Matthew was written to the Jewish people. So the Jews understand this prophecy in Isaiah. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Real clear that this prophecy that Isaiah was speaking about was fulfilled in Jesus. Now, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali is the northern kingdom of Israel. Those are the two of the tribes from the northern kingdom. So what Isaiah is letting these people know that you've already seen that northern kingdom destroyed by the Assyrians. But out of that land is going to come our Messiah. So don't give up hope because there's hope. Definition of hope. The desire and search for a future good, difficult, but not impossible to attain with God's help. So he's telling these people that are in the most drastic of circumstances to have hope. 
Where's that hope going to come from? Verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 9. It says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine from them. This light is going to be the hope that they need to have. Turn to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79, was a prophecy in the New Testament that was given by John the Baptist's father, whose name was Zacharias. And when John the Baptist was born, uh, his, their cousin was Mary, all right, so he knows Jesus is coming, and he's going to tell the people as he's, as he's dedicating this baby, guess what, guess who's coming? I'm just going to read verses 78, 79, but I would encourage you to go back when you have an opportunity and look at this prophecy from 67 to 79. It's pretty cool. Uh, but verse 78 says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide the feet into the way of peace. So the prophecy that Isaiah was given to those people who were struggling with Assyria was fulfilled by the sunrise of Jesus Christ. Definition of light was kind of interesting when I was looking at it because light is mentioned both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I had to look it up in Hebrew and Greek. Just fun things that we do. So in Hebrew, the word light means illumination or luminary, which is a fancy word for star. Lightning or happiness. And uh, literally, it means bright plus clear plus day. So if you think about the cloudless sky at noon with the sun shining bright, that's the kind of light that's being discussed here. And the interesting part about this word for light is the same word for light that's used in Genesis when God creates light in verse 3, chapter 1. Okay, God created light. Remember, when God created light, that wasn't the sun because the sun came later. Right? He creates light first. You think that light was Jesus? You think he was a creation? I'll just say. All right, the New Testament Greek for light is to shine or make manifest luminescence or firelight. Because what was the light that guided the children of Israel out of Egypt? The pillar of fire. Thank you for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We'll continue with the second part of the message right after this. As under-shepherds and wives of the same, we all need tending to. We grow weary as we care for our families and those we faithfully serve. As life servants, we're honored to tend to those in our care, but we too need to be cared for. We need help when life gets heavy. We need hope when life gets hopeless. We too need to be shepherded. So, who's shepherding us? You can purchase this book at cedricbrown.com. Thank you again for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We now return for the second half of our message. I'll give you some examples of how Jesus fulfills this prophecy of light. John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. 
There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. So John makes it very clear from the beginning that the light of life is Jesus Christ. John 8, 12. Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The idea of darkness here is that concept of so total darkness that you cannot see. And I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity to experience that kind of darkness. Uh, I had the thrill once in my life uh, on a little exercise I was doing when I was in the military. We had to do this night walk thing in training. And it was so dark that I couldn't see the guy walking in front of me. I had to put my hand on his shoulder so I knew where he was going. Because it was literally so dark I could not see my hand in front of my face. I've never been in that kind of darkness before. Uh, thankfully, the guy that was leading us had these like night goggles, so he knew where he was going. But the rest of us didn't have a clue. Uh, and you don't know what you're going to step on. You know, you could step in a hole, or, or you could walk right off a cliff and not even know it. Uh, that kind of darkness. And that's the kind of darkness we're talking about here. Because when you're in sin, that's the kind of darkness you're in. John 12, 46. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. You're either in darkness or you're in light, okay? There's, you know, you've heard me say this a hundred times. You either is or you ain't. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're either in darkness or in light. There's no in between. There's no fence to ride. There's no little white line you can walk down the middle. Okay? You're either his or you're not. Uh, an interesting light that Paul got to see, Acts chapter 22, verses 6 through 9. But it happened as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I find this kind of really interesting, this little story about Paul here. First of all, the light was so bright it blinded him. Okay? And he hears and understands the voice. The guys that are with him, remember, these guys that are with him, Paul's on his way to persecute Christians. So these guys that are walking with him are a bunch of persecutors. They ain't good guys. So they see the light, but they're not blinded. They hear the voice, but they don't understand it. Because they're not called. Paul was called. They had to lead him somewhere because he couldn't see. Because that's how bright the light of Jesus is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Why do we need this light? Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Without the light of Christ, we would never understand 
who God really is. I agree. That's mine, so I can do that. Uh, so we understand this light is Christ. And this light, you know, it, it's mentioned, by the way, the light, Jesus as the light of Christ is mentioned like 28 times in the New Testament. Over 300 times in the entire Bible. Because remember that the Old Testament is about Jesus. Remember the conversation Jesus has with Nicodemus when Nicodemus sneaks up to the roof to talk to Jesus? And Jesus says to him, what do you mean you don't know what it means to be born again? You're a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? Well, the law that Nicodemus had was the Old Testament. And Jesus said, you read the Old Testament, you understand the Old Testament, you'll know me. Because I'm there in the Old Testament. So what should our response be? We understand that the hope that was delivered to the, to the people of Judah at that time is the hope of Christ. And we know that that hope was fulfilled in the light of Jesus when he was born on the time that we're celebrating right now. So what do we do about that? John chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to take our deeds and drag them into the light. Because every one of us has sin in our life. And the worst possible thing we can do is to try to hide them. I remember very young in my Christian walk, I would come into church some Sundays knowing that there was sin in my life behind me that I was ignoring and trying to hide. And, I, you know, you'd be greeting the preacher afterwards, you know, and I'd say all those nice flowery Bible phrases to try to impress him about how much I knew about the Bible when I had all that sin sitting at home. I wondered why my life was running around in circles and I didn't know where I was going because I was still walking in darkness. And I needed to take those deeds and drag them into the light of life, Jesus Christ. And I needed to dump them and walk on. Because now I can see. John chapter, uh, no, yeah, 12. John chapter 12, 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. 1 John, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from you and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the key to this walking in the light is to get ourselves out of the darkness so that, number one, we can have fellowship with God because if there's sin in your life, he ain't hearing nothing you got to say. David said, if you, I regard iniquity in my heart, you won't hear me. So the first prayer God's going to hear from you, no matter how many all those other prayers that you said, the only one he's going to answer is the one when you ask for forgiveness. That'll be the first prayer that he will answer for you. And man, once you're forgiven, he hears the rest of them. So in order to have fellowship with God, we need to drag these deeds into the light so that we can confess them and get rid of them. But also that establishes our relationships with each other. And one of the things I like about this church, and the church I came from was pretty much the same, is that the folks that come to this church are real. You are what you are. You don't walk in here with a whole bunch of fluff trying to fool everybody. And I love that because you're honest with us. You don't try to hide things. Because you know what? We're all kind of walking kind of this way, you know, trying to find our way in this world, trying to follow Jesus as best we can. And we can do that when we help each other, when we talk to each other, when we're real with each other, when we can pray for each other. The coolest thing I ever see in a church is that before or after the service, I'll see little pockets of people praying because somebody's struggling with something in their heart and they know they can go to other people and say, let's pray, man, I need your help. That's what happens in this church. And that fellowship can happen when our deeds have been drug into the light and are gone. So that our fellowship with God can work through us to others. Because God's going to use one of you to talk to somebody else. Can you be used? Are you ready to be used by God? Hello, my name is Sarah Vega, and I am the Administrative and Executive Director here at Commitment Church. I hope you've enjoyed today's message by Pastor Cedric Brown. If you didn't know, Pastor Cedric also sends out encouraging videos weekly. We call these the Weekly Wire. We can send these encouraging videos directly to you by subscribing at www.loveallnations.org. Here's an example of the encouragement you'll receive. Hey everybody, this is Cedric Brown, lead pastor of Commitment Church with another Weekly Wire. So, during this holiday season, I thought about what should I say to you? I had many ideas, but this is what I landed on. Here are my top three reasons why I do not go to church. Let me begin with the first, people. People are the reason why, honestly, I don't go to church. Matter of fact, they were the very reason why I struggle with being a part of the church or investing in the church or surrendering to the reality of going to the church because I thought people were hypocritical. I thought they were two-faced. I thought they were just uh, a bunch of people who just gathered around the campfire to sing Kumbaya, but yet they go into the world and acted a different way. So definitely I do not go to church because of people, but I go to church because of the person who came for me. So during this Christmas season, I want to encourage you not to go to church or even think about going to church because of people, but go because of the person who came for you. And that person is Jesus Christ who came, 
as a humble baby in a humble manger to die on a cross for you and for me, which gives us the greatest gift of all, and that is salvation through his finished work. We hope you enjoyed the sample of our Weekly Wire. Again, to subscribe to your weekly inspiration, refreshment, and encouragement, please visit www.loveallnations.org. Thank you again for listening to our series, From Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.